We'll come back this afternoon at least to begin with as a text from which we can launch uh, into, and, and we'll start in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 where we were earlier today. Ecclesiastes in the fifth chapter, and just remind ourselves here of what Solomon the preacher is saying. And, and as we remind ourselves of what he's saying, let me just remind you of what Gill and others have commented on with regard to this text, and that is that through the first four chapters, he warns over and over again uh, about the vanities of this world and about the vanities of this life. In fact, he says in verse uh, 16 of chapter 4, Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And then he turns to the house of God and he warns, Walk prudently, guard your steps, keep your steps when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. All of the vanity of the world around you. Be mindful of it, be watchful of it, and especially when you come to the house of God, prepare yourself, guard your steps, keep your steps, make your ears ready to hear so that vanity does not intrude into the worship of God as well. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Father, we bow before You this afternoon, knowing that in the afternoon time it is much harder to be able to pay attention and to keep our eyes open. And so we pray for supernatural help from on high, that Your Spirit would bear us up and that You would help us as we think through some of the practical aspects of that which was opened up this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We did look this morning and we considered really the, the, the doctrinal undergirding of what's being said here, that the man of God who fears God, the godly man, not only is concerned about his worship and not only is concerned about bringing his family to worship, but he's concerned about the way in which they worship. And of all the things that are included in that with regard to the way in which worship is conducted, the regulative principle, what we do in the midst of worship, how we respond to the Word of God and worship, what we do afterwards, the repentance, the faith, the renewed, the renewed joy and hope that we have, all of that being said, there's also this whole matter of preparation of heart that this man knows that in order to engage in worship the way that God has called him to engage in worship, his heart and his family's heart, as much as depends upon himself, ought to be made ready, prepared. And I said, this was something that really, up until having to preach this, I had given very little thought to uh, just how much scripture has to say about it and just how vital it is. So, Having talked something about that this morning, I want to come back this afternoon and I want us to lay down some practical points of application. How, how do we apply this? How should we apply this, really? How do we do this? How do, this whole idea of preparing or sanctifying or consecrating ourselves so that as we come before God, we might come before Him with ready hearts. What does that really look like? And I'll divide it into two broad categories. Um, this is the outline. That which is outward and ordinary on the one hand, and then that which is inward and spiritual. 
So we're going to look at the practical points of application regarding that which concerns us outwardly and ordinarily, and then that which concerns us inwardly and spiritually. Now, I want to uh, read just a brief portion of our confession um, in chapter 22 and verse 8 with regard to the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, and the Westminster Confession says exactly the same thing here, but in chapter 22, paragraph 8, um, they say this, and I'm truncating it a little bit just to emphasize the part of it that I want to emphasize. The Sabbath is kept holy unto the Lord after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand. Two things. The Sabbath is kept holy unto the Lord after the heart is prepared, inward, spiritual, and the common affairs are taken care of and prepared properly, outward and ordinary. That's where the outline comes from. And that's what our forefathers in the faith also recognized as necessary. So, what is meant then by outward elements of preparation? I'm really talking kind of Old Testament Levitical priesthood, right? When you start saying outward elements of preparation, should we, should we be concerned about these types of things? Especially, should we be concerned about them since we've been talking this whole time, really, and I was trying to drive in the previous message to our hearts and what our hearts are before God as we come to worship Him. So, is there any biblical warrant that we should concern ourselves at all with what the writers of the confession called common affairs and what I'm calling the outward and ordinary. Well, let me say this firstly. Here's an important principle that we should never forget. When it comes to our spiritual life and when it comes to our worship, we must never forget that we are what we are inwardly, excuse me, what we are inwardly is inseparably connected to what we are outwardly. You cannot separate the two. When it comes to our spiritual life, things that affect us physically will have an effect upon us spiritually. Things that happen outside of us outwardly, circumstantially, will and can have an effect on us inwardly. And the two are inseparably, as long as we're in this body, in this flesh, in this world, the two are inseparably joined, well, even after this world. Uh, the two will be inseparably joined together. The body and the spirit, they're inseparably joined together. And so what we do with ourselves outwardly in this work of preparation will have a very real impact, either negatively or positively, upon our worship. We cannot escape it. We can't get away from it. This at this point is not about what the Levitical priesthood said versus what the gospel is about. This is just practical importance. That if we do not attend to the things outwardly, it'll impact us. Negatively or positively regarding our worship. And the godly man knows this. The godly woman is to know this. And therefore to mark their steps carefully and therefore prepare themselves in those outward and ordinary matters of life as best as we are able. And I 
say that a little bit more loudly because I want to emphasize it, that we are to do this as best as we are able. And the reason that I emphasize that is because we do know that there are things that happen from time to time, become hindrances to some of what I'm going to be saying. But we shouldn't make those an excuse ever for not doing them. So I divide this category of outward or common affairs, ordinary affairs, I divide it into three areas that we should concentrate on when thinking about this whole aspect of preparing ourselves for worship. Firstly, work. We're told in the fourth commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment, the language there is remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And that word remember is really important because it's not only a remembrance by way of recognition and observation or memorial, keeping the Sabbath week by week, but it's an active calling to mind the day when it says remember. What God in His commandment is exhorting us to do is to actively call that day to mind which includes, according to George Swinnick and other commentators that have written about that, includes what he called a provident foresight and a diligent dispatch of earthly affairs before worship. Remember the Sabbath means that we take measures to have a provident foresight and a diligent dispatch of our earthly affairs before worship. Worship. And of course, the commandment goes on and says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. In other words, God in His command, and may I say it this way, God in graciously in His command, is directing you to take great pains to do what you can so as to order your worldly business to ensure that it does not encroach upon and disquiet or disturb you on the day of worship. That's why I say it's a gracious command. There are many things, brethren, that would threaten to entangle us on the Lord's day. The dust of the things of this earth do and can become a great hindrance to our worship. They cling to us. Now think about the disciples there. You're clean, but you still have need of your feet being washed. Why? Because they were walking upon the dusty streets. And we spiritually walk upon the dusty streets of this earth. And when we come to worship, we must recognize that the dust of the things of this earth can cling to us in such a way that it becomes a great hindrance to our worship. And many are distracted because of their negligence of common things during the week. When Nehemiah prepared the people for worship on the Sabbath, he commanded... Nehemiah chapter 13, we'll read it in just a moment. But it's interesting to me, he commanded that the gates be shut. Notice the language. Nehemiah 13 verse 19, so it was, at the gates of Jerusalem, 
And listen very carefully to the wording here. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. And then he goes on and he says, Then I posted some of my servants at the gates, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. So that no burdens. The doors were shut. The gates were shut. Men stood at the gates so that no burden would be brought in to disrupt the Sabbath day. And brethren, we do well, if I might use that as an illustration, to shut the gates on our worldly affairs before the Sabbath. So as to ensure no burdens be brought into our worship. That we not turn this place into a den of thieves and rob God of His due because of the distractions of our minds. We, we, mu we must be careful to ensure that we avoid making our Father's house a house of the merchandise of the things of this world full of the bleeding goats of undone responsibilities or the smell of the dung of the unbridled lusts of worldly entertainments which waft through our minds and intrude into our worship because we don't shut the gate before the Sabbath. That happens. That happens. We come in and we're thinking about undone responsibilities. How can, how can we fully engage and enter into worship when those things are left lingering, when we have opportunity, we don't always have opportunity to shut that gate as we ought, but we must make every effort to do that as much as possible, not only on things like work, but again, I mentioned entertainments. Let me ask you, how is it that we can reasonably think that we could be able to come in here and give ourselves entirely to the worship of God when Saturday night, just before we shut our eyes, we're watching something on television that is completely taking our minds away from God. And we come in in the mornings, perhaps, I'm not saying this happens, but I'm just saying that it's something that we need to be mindful of. And whatever it is that was the last thing that our eyes were looking at the night before, is still emblazoned on the retina of our soul. And we're thinking about that instead of worship. Another outward and ordinary area of our lives which we must not neglect is that which concerns our home. It's interesting to me in Exodus chapter 16, actually again, I say when we think about this, I'll make note of it in just a moment, but, but when we think about this, we need to think of it in terms of God being very gracious to us in these ways. But it's interesting to me in Exodus 16 and verse 5 that God was pleased to provide a double portion of manna on the sixth day. God did that. 
He provided a double portion of manna on the sixth day in order to prevent them from having to go out and seek it on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Listen to the words, and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And then in Exodus 16, verses 23 and 26, we have this. This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. They were to gather according to God's gracious provision, a double portion, and they were to prepare it ahead for the Sabbath, and God graciously preserved it so that it did not stink the next day. Why did God do that? Why would God make such extraordinary measures for these people? So that their hearts would be prepared. So that they would be prepared outwardly and wouldn't have to be worrying about going out and collecting those things when they should be focused on worship. And that teaches us to plan ahead for our basic necessities. Preparing things like meals, if possible, if possible. Preparing for you all who have children, baths the night before. Preparing our clothing the night before. Locating the shoes the night before. Packing Bibles the night before. It's all, it's practical stuff. It's practical stuff. And by the way, I want to make sure that in saying that, no one walks away saying, well, Scott's saying that if we don't do that, then that's sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a sin to do any of those things. Preparing a meal, taking a bath, preparing your clothing, locating shoes, packing Bibles. It's not sin to do any of those things on the Lord's Day. I'm not convinced of that in any way. But this is what I'm saying from a practical standpoint. When we leave things like that undone, they can and do wreak havoc on our ability to enter worship with a ready heart. How many times, maybe it's never happened, I know it's happened in my house, that on the morning of the Lord's Day, when it's time for us to leave, somebody cannot find their shoes. And suddenly, you go from being, a, being ready to come into the presence of God with joy and gladness and lightness of heart and sobriety in your thinking to all flustered and frustrated because... Something you could have done the night before wasn't done. And suddenly, there's a big brawl in the house over it. It's just practical stuff. But if we leave it undone, it can have an effect upon the way that we worship. Thirdly, let me just mention our bodies. We must adequately prepare our bodies for worship. And what I mean by this primarily is be sure on the one hand, that you get the rest that you need. A body that's not rested cannot worship. It's just, it's just practical. Here's what 
A.N. Martin, Albert Martin said, he said, the battle for worship many times is won or lost Saturday night. The singular decision to stay up too late categorically determines the tone for the whole day. And because of that, we end up rushed or late or we miss altogether or we sit so drowsy that our eyes are glazed over and we are barely able to enter into any of the activities of the day. And we must be mindful of that. Another thing that we must be mindful of when it comes to our bodies is our diet. I'm serious. Think about this. Just When I was in Costa Rica and I was getting ready to preach this, one of the things that Alpheus, Pastor Alpheus said, he said, make sure you mention, when you're talking about these practical aspects of preparing, make sure you mention to them, don't eat 10 pancakes before they come to church. And I forgot to mention that, so I'll mention it now. If you eat 10 pancakes before you come, you're probably going to have heavy eyes. If you drink 10 cups of coffee, you're probably going to have to get up from under the sound of the ministry of the Word in order to go to the bathroom. If you get too little to eat, you may end up with a headache. Your sugar may drop and you won't be able to pay attention. And I ask you, brethren... Shouldn't we be mindful of that? Because if we're coming with stomachs so heavily loaded that our eyeballs are rolling in the back of our heads, or bladders that are so full that we cannot sit during the preaching of the Word, or that we've not eaten enough so that we're sitting and we're shaking, or have a headache, are we offering to God our best That's not legalistic. It's not, I want to, say, I want to be very careful about this. It's, it's not about loading a burden for ourselves that is too care, heavy to carry. These things, these practical steps with regard to work, home, body, are an unburdening. And that's what I want to challenge us to always think about with regard to these things. They're an unburdening of ourselves from all encumbrances to what we would call wholehearted worship. So isn't that what we want? Isn't that, don't we want, don't we want, don't we desire, don't we long as the people of God to be able to come into the presence of God and offer Him our very best, our wholehearted worship? If it is, then all of this that I'm saying is about us taking practical measures to maximize the profit of our souls and the honor of God. Those things are important and, and shouldn't be a burden to us. It should be a great joy. Let me, on Saturday night, I'll just give you an example of what I've been practicing in my home since the Lord struck me with this. But at a certain time on Saturday evening, all, all entertainment goes off. And we begin to think about the Lord's day. We are coming to His day. 
And so we want to have the home in order so that we might, by God's good grace, have hospitality from time to time. And we sit and we begin to think about what it is that we're coming to do and we sing and we pray. I'll talk about that some more in just a moment. The whole purpose is that there are certain outward steps that are taken. We iron clothes and get them prepared and ready so that when we wake up in the morning, we're not running around and rushed and coming in here huffing and puffing. and All that's out of the way. And I can worship God. And many get little profit from the Lord's Day because of a lack of disciplined forethought in some of the most simple matters. I don't want to lay out a long list. That's not what I'm doing. That's what the Pharisees did. Uh, I, I know that there's a, a narrow path here. But I do want us to think about what is it that practically, practically outwardly can be done to help us so that we don't have hindrances on the Lord's Day. But I say all that also to say this. As important as the outward is, we must not neglect the greater part of it all. We must prepare ourselves and men. We must prepare our families inwardly. We must endeavor to prepare them spiritually. Jeremiah Burroughs said this, By nature our hearts grovel in the dirt. We're cold and we're carnal and we're altogether unfit to come into the presence of God. For we know, says Paul, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that is the very thing that I practice, Paul said. And I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. And if we think that when we come into worship, evil is not present with us, we're sadly mistaken. And the godly man understands that his heart produces some of the greatest hindrances to his worship. And therefore, if he would come before God and worship as he must, he must labor to get his own soul inflamed by grace. That he might serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. George Swinnick, another man who wrote on this whole subject, said, Hearts like soil must be prepared for the seed of the word. How many a sermon has been lost because this was wanting, and the violins of our souls must be tuned to praise God, or otherwise they will sound but harshly in our ears. That's George Swinnick. So how are we to prepare the soil of our hearts and tune our souls for praise. I offer three directives. First, you must clear the ground. If we're thinking about soil, you must clear the ground of your conscience before God and men. Take measures before you come to worship God, to labor, to remove the rocks and to remove the roots of sin. Before worship can begin, the temple must be cleansed. 
2 Chronicles 29, that whole matter with Hezekiah and the revival that took place. Verse 5, he said, Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. James chapter 1, verse 21 So I want to make sure that we're not thinking this is all New Old Testament stuff. It's not Old Testament stuff. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Or Christ's very practical and yet necessary advice in Matthew 5, 24. Before you come to the altar and worship God, first be reconciled. If you have controversy with a brother or sister, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I want to read to you another quote from George Swinnick in his book, The Christian Man's Calling. It's a lengthier portion, but I would highly recommend alongside of Gospel Worship by Jeremiah Burroughs this work by George Swinnick. But he says this, the main preparation of the heart for Sabbath lies in the removing of the filth of sin and in quickening and awakening grace. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He goes on, he says, believe it, your profit by a Sabbath depends not a little upon your preparation for the Sabbath. You've enjoyed many Lord's Days and it may be that little soul-saving good has been done. You go to the house of God where a table in the preaching of the gospel is set before you, spread with all the dainties of pardon, love, grace, peace, and eternal life, at which others sit and they feast. Their souls are filled with marrow, marrow and fatness, and their mouths praise the Lord with joyful lips, but you have no stomach can eat little and savor nothing. I dare be the physician, Swinnick says, to tell you the cause and the cure of this. The cause is your stomach is foul. Your heart is unclean. And therefore, as a man that has a cold or some disease cannot relish his meat, but complains sometimes of the meat, sometimes of the cook, when the fault is in himself, so you can taste no goodness in the best meat. Neither prayer, nor scripture, nor sermon, nor Sabbath are savory to you. Yet it may be that you blame some other circumstance when the fault, he says, is in the foulness of your affections. Your cure then must be to purge out this old leaven, to take some pains beforehand in cleansing your heart. And then he says, prepare to meet thy God, O Christian. Betake yourself to your chamber on Saturday night if you must, and confess and bewail your sin. And my dear brethren, I wonder, and it's only that, it's only a wonder, I don't know. But I wonder sometimes, do we do that as we ought 
And that by the failures of us doing that in a concentrated way, are we robbing ourselves of blessing on the Lord's day? Labor to remove the rocks and the roots of the sin of the day, of the sin of the week. Do what you must to prepare your soul to come into the presence of your God. Do we do that? Or do we just move from our rocker to our bed and from our bed to the altar with no thought whatsoever about what we're rising to do the next day? Who we're coming to meet with and how unconfessed and unrepented of sin is a hindrance to our fellowship with God. It's a hindrance. Yes, the blood of Christ is sufficient. Yes, we stand in those things. But if we neglect our sin and fail to confess it, can we expect that God will pour out the rewards of His ardent blessing upon us? James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, but he follows it with this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I say, I don't know. I don't know anybody's heart. I don't, I don't proclaim to know that. I know my heart. So if it helps, I say it to my own heart. Cleanse your heart. And if need be, cleanse your house of the foulness of sin that's allowed to permeate through the rooms in what is listened to or what is watched or perhaps if it has to be in the own, your own conversations with one another, sometimes sharp words and unrepented of sin and unconfessed sin and not being reconciled to your spouse and then trying to come to worship. What a hindrance. What a hindrance. Cleanse yourself of your sin. Secondly, you must bring in the plow of the word to turn up the fallow ground of your heart. To pre prepare it with grace. Part of preparation is meditation on the word of God. I, I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of that. Psalm 39.3, my heart was hot within me while I mused the fire burned. And one writer said, the friction of his inward thoughts produced an intense mental heat. And so it is that we are to apply ourselves to the spiritual toil of meditating on the Word of God so that there's friction in our hearts, friction in our minds, so that we begin to turn the things of God over and think about them before we ever get here, so that grace would be made to burn with a greater intensity. And so I say time spent with your family giving serious thought to the God with whom you're going to worship is vital. Fill your hearts and fill your minds with lofty thoughts of His glory. Fill your hearts and fill your minds with lofty thoughts of His attributes. Think upon the glories of Christ and His salvation. Think about the weight of your duties in worship.
Think about the grace that God freely gives. Think about the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Read the Psalms. Sing hymns. Make, if you're able, the pastor's sermon a special focus. Find out what is the text, pastor, that you're preaching from. I want to bring it before my own mind and bring it before my family the night before that our hearts might be inflamed so that when you begin to preach the word, we would be ready to receive it. Strike the match. Kindle the flame. Plow the field. So that the first song, hymn sung on Sunday morning is like the fanning of the embers lit the night before. Or like the dew of Hermon falling on the rich soils of the heart prepared by grace to drink in the rain. I love making fires in the backyard in the summertime. But one thing I've learned is that if I take wet wood and strike a match to it, it's not going to burn. And so often, brethren, we come and we present the wet wood of our hearts and minds at the altar of God on Sunday morning. And we're halfway through the day before the match is struck, I'm afraid at times. Let's be prepared. Thirdly, and lastly here, sow the seeds of God's rich blessing through earnestly seeking God in prayer with your families and in your own private devotions. Psalm 63, the psalmist was longing to be in the place of God. It's the expression of that longing when he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I want to be there in your presence, Lord. I'm in a world that is dry and weary and thirsty and barren. But I know that in your sanctuary, when your people gather together and your word is opened up, there is power and there is glory and there is your presence and there is grace and there is reminders of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great salvation that's mine. And oh God, I seek you early so that when I come, I might come ready. Ask Him for His presence. Ask Him for His help. Do we do that? Do we do that? Not hurriedly in the morning as we're eating our breakfast. Do we do that with an earnest desire? Pray for your soul. Pray for your wife, men. Pray for your children. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your brethren. Pray that God would rend the heavens and come down and make a thousand hearts His own. We should be praying that way. Those are just some, what I would call practical applications to how to prepare outwardly and how to prepare inwardly. And we could go into much more there, but I want to close by showing you the joy and the excellency of the preparation. And I can only list them this afternoon. In all sanctification, in all consecration, in all preparation, 
there is the expectation of God's felt presence. It was so for the people of old in Exodus 19 when God told them to prepare themselves it was all in an expectation God is going to come down on this mountain. And it's so for us. Christ has promised to be in our midst. Are we consciously aware of that? And are we doing everything that we can within our power to be able to truly come and to truly meet with Him? That's His promise, where two or three are gathered. How many times, I, I just, I, I wonder, but how many times have we walked out of this place and we've thought to ourselves, I met with Jesus today. That's His promise. That should be our expectation. That should be why we are doing the, the things that we're doing to get our hearts in the right place that we might have grace whereby we may come before Him. Listen to His promise in Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father the mouth of the Lord has spoken it that's not a restriction that's a wonderful blessing and would any of us say we don't want to delight in God would any of us say that we don't want to be able to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed upon the heritage of Jacob All sanctification has within it the expectation of God's felt presence. Second, by this means of preparation, every duty of worship becomes easier and more joyful. It becomes easier and more, more, more joyful. Things can be difficult when we come unprepared. Put this to the test. Just put it to the test. Spend the next month deliberately taking time the night before to stir grace up in your heart and to move the rubbish out of your heart. And then tell me, I, I, I just, I want to know, I, I would love if someone would come to me and say, Pastor, I've done this for a month. And if you do not Fine. Everything that we do on the Lord's day to be easier and more joyful, I want to know. The more prepared we are, the more smoothly it goes. Jeremiah Burroughs, again, when the heart is prepared, it goes off as easy to God, even into the infinite ocean of all mercy and goodness. Listen to the words that can be found in Job chapter 11, verse 13. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let the wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away, and your life would be brighter than noonday if you would prepare your heart 
and stretch out your hands towards God. And then the last, let us never forget this. When the heart is prepared, the Lord will pass by weaknesses and imperfections. Burroughs, you may have certain assurance that the Lord will have regard if you can make this point, that it was your care to make preparation for this duty. Remember Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was rebuked because of his faults. He paired up with wicked King Ahab. And God rebuked him. And yet, even though that happened, the final verdict on his life was, nevertheless, good things are found in you. In that you've removed the wooden images from the land and you've prepared your heart to seek God. When the people at the Passover, contrary to what was written, came before God in the days of Hezekiah, remember them. Remember what was written. Hezekiah prayed for them. May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God and the Lord God of his fathers. Though he's not been cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and remember what it says. The Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people because they prepared their heart. He looked over faults because they prepared the heart. What I'm saying in that is, on the one hand, we should not be indifferent, but on the other hand, we should not despair. God will bear you up. God will bear us up. God will help us. God will give us grace whereby we may serve him acceptably when we lay ourselves at his feet with a sincere desire to come before him. To be purposeful. To be mindful. I'm coming before God. Oh, how vital that is. How vital that is, brethren. Might God help us to remember these things, to lean upon Him wholly, and to endeavor with all the strength that He gives us by His grace to have hearts ready to worship Him. And Lord, again, we would ask for Your help. Father, You know the weakness of our flesh. You know that we are but of dust. You know that sometimes there are things outwardly that just simply cannot be controlled. Intrusions that come in upon our lives. And you know that even on our best days, Lord, when we would seek you and we would seek to remove the rubbish from our, the temple of our hearts, you know that even then, even our repentance falls so incredibly short of anything that would be approved in your sight apart from the blood of Christ. And so our God, we ask, you would help us again to look to Christ and Christ alone. And that in him, as we look to him, that we would find his strength and his grace operative within our hearts that we might truly worship and that we might truly commune with you and that we might truly know what it means to have the joy of fellowship with you on your day and every day 
thereafter. We ask it in his name. Amen.